Hi guys, welcome to episode 2 of the Next Gen web series. My guest today grew up in Chegutu and he was the head boy of Kutama College. He's an avid Mbira player, a debate prowess, and honestly one of the most down-to-earth people I've ever met. He just graduated from Reed College where he was studying anthropology. And without further ado, meet Anisundoro. It's, it's lovely to be here. It's wonderful to see you. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to today's conversation. All right, I'm going to start by asking you how you're doing. I'm doing fairly well, actually. I'm currently in Portland, Oregon, and mm-hmm. the weather is starting to resemble something like spring. is not always been the case. It rains quite a lot Pacific Northwest. So it's, it's nice to have a nice sort of change in weather at a time where everyone's kind of wrapping up, like with school. And I, I feel like this is kind of a nice way to close one chapter of my life as a college student and mm-hmm. starting to move on to other things. Speaking of college and wrapping up, this probably wasn't the way you expected to wrap it up. So tell me about how you have gone through the pandemic and just braved through everything. It's been fairly difficult. And especially for, at least for other Zimbabweans I know who are far away from home at this time. You have two, it's almost as if you have two sides of worrying. You have to worry about what is happening in whatever country you're in. But you also have to worry about what's happening. Yeah, how are they going to survive? Are they going to have the vaccine? Yeah. So I would say things have, haven't necessarily been easy, but I mm-hmm. do appreciate that I am in a relatively safe position. I, mm-hmm. I, I get to work on campus. A lot of people have not been able to work during this time. I have housing. I have access to foods. And that's that's so much better than what a lot of people have to go through because their lives are completely disrupted either by losing family members due to the pandemic itself or like breadwinners of the family or having situations where they can't work and they don't have access to a lot of basic resources how has your relationship with your art changed like since the pandemic because i think you have more you have had more time to be by yourself and to think um quite a lot I would say that I haven't always been like the most like artistic. outgoing person. Okay, outgoing. <laughs> yeah, or, or artistic in the sense that like I I think I I would engage with anything I consider that's more as a hobby, yeah. not as a coping mechanism. And I think that's something that has changed mm-hmm. is looking at music playing or dancing or anything else like that as a method by which people can reconstitute themselves and I, for myself and also for a number of people who I know is the sort of extra time extra time yeah. that you now have because you're like in quarantine all the time has been kind of a an opportunity let's say to develop those parts of yourself that you you thought you never had time for yeah several meetings happening at your school where they're engaging in cultural conversations or arts and culture conversations and i've seen you as the point person for 
the Mbira or Zim tradition. So what have you learned being that figure at your school? Yeah, I, I'm very flattered that that is how you see it. It's one thing to know how to play the music, one thing to sort of come from a family where people play, but when people start asking you questions about it, it makes you start to think of things that you had never considered before. When I got here, the kinds of questions people were asking about the music were very different than the questions that people ask. Their In home. what ways? In the sense that in Zimbabwe, we don't really, the kinds of questions that people have in Zimbabwe aren't questions that are like trying to find out the nature of the music. Mm -hmm. They often have to do with people questioning the place of the music within broader society. That's when we get questions of like, can I play Imbira music if I'm a Christian? The world becoming a global place and Part of it is because of the internet. Um, it's democratized, so everyone has access. Okay, people who have Wi-Fi, resources, I guess, which is like a rare commodity at home. But the internet is for everybody, um, and anyone can post content. But then there's still this issue called digital colonization. Uh, educate people on that. This is a very interesting topic. And I think it serves us better to instead of saying digital colonization, yeah. to say colonization digitized. Oh, and I think right. the reason for that, the reason for that is when we say digital colonization, mm -hmm. it gives the impression that there is a renewed effort that is divorced from former processes of colonization that has happened before. That the, when technology happened, a new form of colonization was Came created. Up. And yet in reality, it is the same colonization that just spread into a new space. Maybe we should start by sort of making a loose definition. Oftentimes when people talk about colonization in the digital world, they mean to say it's a situation in which the dynamics of colonization that are often shaped by things such as race, and gender and nationality and wealth and capital and class, Status, yeah. they all get transferred online. So a, a very recent example, content creators right, mm -hmm. who have very big platforms will take content that has been created by smaller, smaller creators yes. and then repackage it and sometimes just verbatim reproduce it without crediting the person who's created the thing. And this happens in all sorts of ways, right? The, the, the colonization aspect of it comes in the sense that oftentimes people who are able to have those like large followings or have been able to amass like a, a large audience tend to be able to do so because you have the equipment necessary to make mm -hmm. your content, you have the knowledge, you have like um, access to like experts yeah. who can advise you on like legal issues and things like that, or, or even like networks, right? You know you happen to know other people with big platforms so they can they can sort of like get the attention of their own audiences towards you the way search results are ranked are through page rank it looks at who is citing your page so if it's a big reputable company citing your page then you're doing way better and then i nyasha with my small youtube channel and nobody quotes me i'm gonna stay at the bottom yeah <laughs> And see, that's where you start to realize that it's not just happening in an online space. These, these dynamics of who has equipment, who has knowledge, who has networks are very much offline things. And this is why I'm saying it's 
colonization digitized. The, the wealth and the, the, the kind of like positions of power that people have in the real world definitely influence the, the kind of presence that they have online. But the dynamic of wealthier countries having people come to countries that are like overexploited, taking pictures, mm-hmm. doing all sorts of things, is, it's something that happens in the real world. But it's a form of colonization that is making it all, its way online. It's manifesting itself online that it has always been this case since the 90s. Sort of philanthropic work that like yeah. does more to help the person who's saying they're saving, they're saving people as opposed yeah. to the people on the ground. Mm-hmm. They're converting sympathy into like social capital. That yeah. social capital can like then be converted into actual money, right? That like you amass an audience of people who, as they see these pictures of you doing like philanthropic work, they subscribe to your channel, they give you views, you monetize those views, you get money. So before we continue with that, we're going to go into the first round of lightning round questions where I ask you a quick question and you give the quickest answer you can think of. <laughs> so first question, what's for dinner tonight? I'm actually making salsa. Very proper. Wayne Brenner or Tuffy's? Tuffy's. I feel like boys didn't wear either of that. I feel like boys bought their own fancy shoes, so whatever. Uh, Uh, That was only if you actually got to like A level. All level you had to wear (laughs) the the proper shoes. Yeah. What's something people often assume about you? That I'm a very reserved person. But I promise you, I, I can be quite a chatterbox. When are you your best self? Around my parents. All right, so we're going to go back to what we were talking about. Uh, I think sometimes we are very critical of ourselves and we think people are thinking of us all the time. Is this or is that? But sometimes people are not even noticing you like that. I am thinking of when I was in Zimbabwe. They were I went to schools which were majority black and maybe there was one or two white people. I wasn't constantly thinking of those white people. When I saw them, I wasn't always thinking that white student is representing white people and he's doing white people stuff and you know i feel like when you're in the majority you're so ignorant that sometimes you're not even aware so this is something that i want the listeners to know like if you feel like you are alone or people are always thinking of your race sometimes they're not and it's not always just race it's sometimes other things as well For example, if you want to start a business, you might start doubting yourself. Oh my gosh, I'm the only one. People are going to think I'm weird. People are not thinking about you. People have their own problems. So just do it. Which is why you've always inspired me in that I think you have been very in touch with your background and who you are to the point where I don't think you are influenced as much by outside forces thinking what they think of you. So what is helped you um embrace your culture and what do you think zimbabweans were ashamed of you know what's happened the turmoil what do you have to tell them for them to start embracing their culture and to celebrate it that's that's a good question i'd like to believe that like sure there's an element of personal choice in that Mm -hmm. in in the sense that you get to a point where you're like enjoy better music i want to sort of be as authentic to myself as possible. And I think I owe it to myself to know more about who I am 
divorced from this constant game of mimicry that sometimes post-colonial states play. When choice, it's also a matter of not just environment, but like this broader social dynamics that often we, we don't talk about in Zimbabwe. The way we dress, Mm-hmm. the food we choose to eat, the mm-hmm. entertainment we consume, the language we speak, yeah. the music we listen to. All of these things are things we think of as just, well, it's an unconscious preference. I just like to speak English. I just want to listen to music that is from outside Zimbabwe. But at some point we have to ask ourselves how much of those things are because we are choosing it to be, or how much of it is that there are mechanisms that shame us from from engaging in in very in various aspects of our culture, I mean, how many times have we had situations where if if someone is eating, and, and this is how ridiculous it can get, is sometimes like you'd have situations where people would laugh at someone for saying you like to eat madora or ishwa or matamba or mashanje, as if there's something inherently wrong, inherently primitive uncivilized about eating something that is local. It makes no sense. You can walk in Zimbabwe, you can find orchards for oranges, you can find orchards for, for all sorts of different kinds of fruit, of apples, banana groves and whatnot. How many of us like deliberately make groves for mitamba or for all, all these other kinds of fruits that we have within the country? To my father's credit, no, that's good. It's, yeah. it, it becomes an issue of individualized choice, mm-hmm. right? It becomes my father planted a mutowe. It becomes anisu plays in But mm-hmm. it, it, what, what we fail to ask is, why aren't more people doing it? And then when we start asking those questions of what, what, what attitudes do we have towards our own forms of knowledge, our own things that we can't invest? Like, for example, like a very recent development that happened was the writer and poet Ignatius Timabasa wrote the first PhD program, uh, sorry, the first PhD dissertation in Shona. In Shona. I read about that, yeah. At a university outside Zimbabwe, by the way, it wasn't even a Zimbabwean university. It wasn't even in a Zimbabwean university. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because before the writing of Feso by, um, I think it's Solomon Chairo, the, the first Shona novel in like the 1960s, there was this idea that Shona could only exist as a Bible, like if, with, in written form, it mm-hmm. was in the form of like a biblical text or maybe in archival documents collected by ethnomusicologists, anthropologists mm-hmm. and other ethnographers. But the idea that you could take Shona and use it to write a book, a novel that people could read, was unheard of. When, when Solomon Chairo did so, he opened up like this door for all other people to say, hey, this is a possibility. It is possible for us to write it within our own language and consume it for ourselves. We're not doing it for anyone else. We're not doing it to, to, to kind of like trying to mimic anyone else. We're literally creating things because we want to and we want to enjoy them. And, and that is the thing that I think is, has become lost. Have you read is, Sagadini? Of course. <laughs> um, it's like you can actually count the good um, Shona novels because there are not many. No, there are not that many. And like, at least within the Shona literary world, you have like big names like Aaron Hoza, Mordecai Muchkine, etc. And it's like, it's good, right? When they normalize the idea that you could write in Shona, 
it became something that we we now just joined. We don't even think about it. But the, we forget that there was a point in time where we thought that was a crazy or impossible idea. If I were to suggest that someone should start marketing the indigenous fruits of Zimbabwe abroad, that we can try making drinks out of mashanje, out mm -hmm. of matoe, we can start making candy out of tsubu or, 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 oh, or things wow. like that. I love it. Like it, it, it's it sounds like there's like some form of an impossibility, but it's something that it, it doesn't come from the fact that it's impossible. It comes from the fact that we have all these residual colonial ideas that we haven't done away with yet, and they still affect how we see ourselves with a very yeah. severe lack of confidence in our own institutions. Yeah. Just something I'm getting from this conversation is that our default is we do like whatever our colonial, the person who colonized us told us to do or whatever example they set. But then out of necessity, that's when we sometimes start, you know, going into our culture. But I don't think that should be the case. I think our default should be we are proud of who we are. Yeah, you talked about Mbira music and the Lord's Prayer and how we hesitate and sometimes demonize our own roots. So tell me about what you believe about ancestors. This is a big question. Because I think what we often forget is African spirituality, African kinship system, and beliefs about like the cosmos and the natural world. I unbelievably intertwined. An example I can give is Mitubo, right? Totem. We often have this very tant idea about what a totem is. It's like, oh, you know, at one point, like my father told me that like my totem is Soko. And so yeah. that is what it is. But what we don't realize is it's it's not a random thing, right? Soko means that you belong to a certain number of clans. You you belong to a particular lineage. And that, that lineage has like relationships with other lineages, like Shava, like Ziva, right? What and are you? Sogo. But, but there's also a spiritual aspect to it because, because you share all the, you, you have like these relationships of lineages, it's because you share ancestors. The higher up you go, right? Mm -hmm. You have the ancestors of your grandparents, great grandparents, and so forth. But the further back you go, all these lineages that seem to be separate, right? To say yeah. the, the Nyandoros, like the Vairanzo, um, the Sibanda, the Shumba. We think of ourselves as very different, but the further up you go, it starts to link all of you up, not just mm -hmm. in Zimbabwe, but in Botswana, in South Africa, in Mozambique. We have all these lineages that are like connected. Like wow. Sororanzo, right? is a, a, a major and revered ancestor within Shona culture. But Soranzo is also revered among the Kalanga-speaking people. Uh, Soranzo is known as Troyando among the Latins in South Africa and Limpopo. Because we, at, at that point, that's the ancestor who can make that connection between the Kalanga-speaking people, the Nambia-speaking people, the Latinda-speaking people, the Shona Karanga, the Shona Zizuru, the Shona Manika. And so when you start to realize <laughs> like these connections, mm -hmm. things such as like, and sorry, this kind of a tangent, but things such as like xenophobic attacks that yeah. happen in like African countries yeah. start to make very little sense because you are related and not like in an abstract way, like in very real ways. You share ancestors because 
those like migrations that were happening all over the continent like mm-hmm. implicate all of us when christian missionaries arrived in zimbabwe and forced people to to convert and i say forced in like the literal sense of the word it, even in the 90s like yeah. in the 1890s right yeah. when people were being removed from their land and being put in reservation when people were being forced to pay taxation but like you had to do manual labor at like the farms and that and like the the mines where practicing like your own spirituality was not allowed it's like there are very real ways in which people would were being forced to have christianity as an only option and i think that is something that zimbabweans are, we we still have such a reluctance to accept that the way that like our spirituality works was one that like tied us to the land tied us to each other and that christianity is a colonial import i, I know some people i don't know why people think it's a controversial statement to make as though it's not mm. true <laughs> i don't think the way they demonized our tradition our religion is fair at all because we believe that there's still one god we just believe yeah. that we go to him through our ancestors and so there's the story such as that being the new trailer that came out from buyane handa what do you think people should get from that and also on the topic of mbuyane handa she also represents like a powerful woman i think the other thing people hate about our really about our old traditions is they always think oh patriarchy was the worst you know it's complicated um go ahead and and what you're talking about is actually very important because we think we study history in in, in Zimbabwe and this goes yeah. back to that issue I was talking about about our education system is we actually know extremely little through the education system again in Zimbabwe mm-hmm. in Zimbabwe when someone goes to study history what do mm-hmm. they do iron age stone age great Zimbabwe mutapa roji state devela state colonization early colonization you jump everything in the middle you go straight to independence oh and why why do we not talk about after 1980 to where we are because yeah. of that education in any nation is a state engineered project mm-hmm. what the country wants you to know and what the country doesn't want you to know can be reflected in not only what they put on the syllabus but what they choose not to put there if people go back to like the history of people in Zimbabwe you'd realize that we talk of Mbiamne and Zombiane and was the only powerful woman within yeah. like Zimbabwean history Even in Great Zimbabwe, the king slept in like a squatter camp situation, and the queen was the one who was respected enough to leave in the great enclosure. Exactly, there are all these things that, like, when you actually learn about Great Zimbabwe, that's not what you learn. What you learn is there's the great enclosure, there's the conical tower, there's the king's hill, and here are the reasons why the kingdom collapsed. Off, off Salt. we go. Yeah. <laughs> Off we go to uh Mutaba. the Mutaba Empire. <laughs> yeah. And you you don't know any of the kings or the queens who lived there. You don't mm-hmm. know any of the conflicts that were happening. And it's not like that knowledge doesn't exist. It does. It's all documented, both in oral tradition and in written records. But like they wait for you to go to university for you to get that knowledge. And the question is why. The way we know stories about Joseph 
and Abraham and all the ancestors of the people who are li- who were living like in Palestine it, at that time is the way we are supposed to be intimately aware with our history. We have to know who Neoreka is, who's Murenga, who's Toera, right? Who is who's Nyamita, right? Who's Nyatimba Mtota, who's Kazuruka Msapa. Who are all these people? And like, what were they doing? What are their lives, right? We know some people, right? We know like Gatiru Sere in this field attempts to quell like the the yeah. Portuguese. We know yeah. of uh, we know of Changamire, Dombraco no. Nachinguango. <laughs> yeah, but 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 these are very much it's like very much still these are real people, you know, just real people. These are people who we share ancestry with. These are our own kings and queens. These are our own like people who, who have like a huge place in like our personal history but for some reason we're so invested we're so invested in knowing about the ancestries of other people when you mentioned kings and people. queens when you mentioned kings and queens i thought about the trend that's happening in america where everyone is a queen i know what you're talking about here in the u.s of people referring to each other as king and queen is it's an assertion of self-worth that's true it's saying that like in, in, a, in a place where people would never think of looking at you as something that's like worth royalty or humanity, we're going to make that deliberate effort to assert that with ourselves. We're not going yeah. to wait for someone to validate our worth. And yeah. that's what Zimbabweans need to adopt. We need to adopt a, a self-worth policy, a policy where we center ourselves in our narratives. We don't talk mm-hmm. about ourselves with a voyeuristic kind of voice of, oh, this is what like, the Shona people do. It's like we are the people who, who are implicated in those statements. So we have to speak and we have to talk and we have to eat and we have to live and, and breathe and dance and do all of these things in a way that like honors ourselves and sees ourselves as worthy of that like attention. But I think at the root of it, we do not pay attention to our history because we don't think we're worth it. But we are worth that attention. Yeah. Much more than any narrative from the Bible. I'm just going to put it out there. You can read the Bible <laughs> if you wish. Yeah. But I would much rather you knew yourself first. Before you start venturing into other people's epistemology. How could, how could it be that you can quote entire passages that come from a book? It's not necessarily that like the book itself is wrong, but it's, well, what do you know about yourself? Who are your ancestors? Who, who is your lineage? Do you know what your mutupo is? Do you yeah. know the praise, the praise poem for your mutupo and what that praise poem means? Do you know the songs that come from your from the region you come from, the musical styles that come from the music? Zimbabwe is such a rich musical history, like drums, for example. The kind of drumming you find in the Mashingo province, right? Mande, Chinyambera, ETC. And what you find in the north with the Bakumba, and what you find in the east with Nine and Mbende, Jerusalem, and Manguinguindo. It's like you have all this knowledge that just like exists, but no, no one is engaging with it. And why is that? Instead, we want to, <laughs> we'd rather learn all these other musical genres. Mm-hmm. And we have this thing where we feel like we cannot learn both. It's like I, I, you can, I know a lot about the Bible, quite a lot, but it's not like if I start learning and knowing about the Bible, I can, I, I no longer have time to learn about myself. Like, no, I can know both. 
I'm capable of knowing both, just as I'm capable of speaking in yeah. Shona and speaking in English. Yeah, I think it's, you can even connect to your purpose easier when you know both. If you can relate to this person you're related to that you're ignoring, and then you understand what they did, you can get to, you can start to realize what your calling is. Anesuwi, you opened up so many topics and you know what, this is the reason why I started this platform. I didn't even know I would learn this much, but when you were talking, I was just thinking, I am so excited people are gonna learn about this and they are gonna know we're having these conversations. One thing I wanted to quickly say as well is there were actually these Nama Legends Awards that the ministry in Zimbabwe did and they were giving out awards, legend awards to artists and people who've dedicated to like arts and culture, you know, from Mazibaba, Nicholas to Macheso, even Irene Shigamba, who has done traditional dance. That's a very positive step in my opinion, like start honoring those people and carrying this for Um, Unfortunately, we're gonna have to stop here with the questions, but I would love for you to come back. I think there's so much more we need to dissect. Being proud of our own produce, we have so much that we can offer to the world and it's time for us to just realize that we need to, pr to be proud and to own it. To end this conversation, we're gonna go to the last round of lightning round questions is black panther <laughs> overrated absolutely not black panther is one of the most necessary movies of the 21st century in my opinion what's next for you my most immediate thing is going mm. back home during the summer just spending time with family favorite nyanduri from from tipeo darir <laughs> don't mention i think his name is amuchkine not anyone but him because i think he's obvious I don't think I can remember any. Maybe remember the poem. I can certainly remember some points. Or something like that. What is your message of hope to any young person out there who feels like Zimbabwe cannot, um, is not a place where their dreams can materialize? Hope is the only thing that we as young people have. You know, the, the tumor that says, Every, everything has to come to an end. How are you helping the change to happen? Lack of investing that we have within our own arts, our own sort of businesses and things like that. It stems from many of the, the, the kinds of ideas we've been talking about today. Mm -hmm. About people not trusting, not having faith within themselves, not seeing mm -hmm. themselves as being worth mm -hmm. anything that can mm -hmm. like, be taken care of. And I think... Mm -hmm. I think by having as many conversations as I can, I hope in my own small way to help people realize that we don't have to wait for some big country to come to swoop in and like save yeah. all of us. We don't have to wait for... Suddenly, in our present circumstances, it's difficult for us to, to conduct business as usual, but we, we need to start thinking of solutions and we need to start implementing those solutions now part of the, like one's attitude towards wanting to build oneself has a lot to do with their sense of self-worth and hopefully by talking about this to help a few people feel a little more worthy than they did when they when they first started that in itself is a tall order but that is something i hope to do i don't know if i'm successful but that's certainly what i i hope might be the impact of talking to people Certainly you have been, especially on this platform today. Thank you so much, Anesu. Thank you.
you. Thank you so much for having me. And best of luck on your series. And to the people watching, if you enjoyed what we're discussing today, we're going to have more episodes and, you know, various other topics. But uh, thank you so much. Bye.